Welcome to the Poe Group Advisors Podcast. Today you'll hear a conversation between Brandon Poe and David Cristello. David Cristello is the founder and CEO of Jetpack Workflow, a cloud-based application that helps accounting firms manage client work so that deadlines do not fall through the cracks. Jetpack Workflow is headquartered in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and serves thousands of accounting professionals in 17-plus countries. He's also the host of Growing Your Firm podcast, a free interview series with top firm owners and thought leaders that has over 200,000 downloads. Finally, he's the co-author of Double Your Accounting Firm, an Amazon bestseller. Brandon Poe is the founder of Poe Group Advisors, a leading-edge practice brokerage and coaching firm serving accountants in the U.S. and Canada. Hi, this is Brandon Poe, and I'm with David Cristillo today, who's the founder and CEO of Jetpack Workflow. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And by the way, I mentioned our podcast episode together. Uh, I've now mentioned it probably half a dozen times in the last week. So hopefully you're getting some interest from people there. I, I always tell people at a bare minimum, go to your website, take a look at some of the listings so they can start getting an idea, excuse me, of what the what the market is saying in terms of valuation. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you for sending people our way. Much That's much appreciated. Absolutely. Um, well, people never yeah. think about the, you know, the, the 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 owners that we talk to, and we'll do training trainings, and you know whether some percentage of them either want to buy or sell at some point. Maybe maybe some people don't consciously think about it, but some of them certainly do. And it's like, well, you know, if there's a number you have in mind, you can see if you're positioned to get that number or not by at least looking out there in the marketplace. So I think it's a great resource whether somebody's looking for this year or five years from now. So I, I was, uh, I know even I had fun looking through it. So it's, uh, hopefully you keep getting interest. And, um, you know, if we, if we could send any people your way, we, we certainly try to. Well, thank you for that. And, um, and, and the same here, you know, we, um, we do get people ask us about software solutions and, um, I've mentioned yours on several occasions. I know, um, you know, the clients I've had that use it really, really like it a lot. It's really made life easier for them. So um, happy to get people to check you out as well. Um, well, I'd like to just jump right in here. Um, so I had some prepared questions. And um, the um, first question is just about your background. Like, how did you get into software development? in the accounting industry. Um, I've been doing a little bit of reading. I see you're, you're not an accountant by trade, so um, are you a software engineer by trade? Just how did this all come about? Oddly enough, I'm not a software engineer by trade. So the way this came about was that about four or five years ago, <clears throat> um, I had come across this belief that Great businesses are built from solving painful problems. And during at that time, I was running a very small uh, freelance marketing company uh, called MindMatch Marketing. It was essentially me plus some contractors, and we were we were yes people. So if somebody asked us to do something, we said yes no matter what. In almost every context, for any amount of money, it was essentially the world's worst service business, and it's maybe one that you know a lot of accounting firm owners can relate to as well. Certainly, when they start out, and so I was when I, when I heard that belief that 
great businesses are built from solving painful problems. And mixed with just the general overwhelm of trying to juggle 20, you know, we had 20 clients at the time, we were doing all sorts of things, and it just felt like things weren't clicking. And I kind of crossed this belief, and I said, well, maybe what I'm doing is not set up well enough, or I didn't necessarily know if it was painful enough in some cases, certainly for what we were being paid to do some of these marketing services. And so I went out and looked for painful problems. There's this whole concept called idea extraction. You can even Google it. There's, there's uh, people that mentor around it, uh, which are great. And, and so I went on this journey for idea extraction or pain extraction, and I started looking at different industries that I just thought were really interesting. And one of those was the accounting, bookkeeping, payroll, and tax. Now, I don't have a background in payroll, bookkeeping, uh, or tax, as you mentioned. And so through this process, you kind of have to be the ultimate, ultimate student and never assume anything and be okay to ask stupid questions, uh, which is what I did for essentially three to four months while I interviewed. I ended up emailing a thousand plus firm owners and probably had a couple hundred phone call conversations where I would chat with firm owners for 30 to 60 minutes to learn about how they were running their business, what was stopping them from growing, what was keeping them up at night. And through that process, I you know, found a tidal wave of pain. It was actually overwhelming at first because there were certain buzzwords and uh, acronyms that were being thrown around that I had no idea. You know, People would say GAP, and I would say, well, why are you going to a clothing store? Right? I, know, I didn't know the basics of the basics. <laughs> and so it took me a while to just understand some of the lingo. And then as we got through it, the, a lot of firm owners kept saying, you know what keeps me up at night? You know what's stopping my business? You know what's you know, stopping my growth? is checklist management, checklist management. And the, literally the first 10 times I heard this, I just ignored it because I thought, well, well boy, I, after all these applications that deal with tasks and checklists, there, there's clearly a solution out there. I don't think it's painful enough to really go create something new. And that's when I went to a firm owner's office and he showed me his second monitor, which was a spreadsheet. And that spreadsheet had a column that showed me his 500 clients. And he was a, he was a full suite, small accounting firm. I think he had about a, a three employees and, and himself. And his 500 clients and he had 10 recurring due dates for each client. He had, uh, he had payroll schedules and bookkeeping schedules and tax return schedules and CFO advisory schedules. And each column in that spreadsheet, you know, after that first one of the client list was a different schedule, a different due date, and each column had its own checklist, and each checklist had these little initials next to each step. And so his team was kind of highlighting, and, and almost in a way that an old telephone operator would, would kind of move around the, the cords, they were just highlighting these cells of different statuses and emailing it back and forth and trying to put together this whole system. And that's when I realized that, you know, there, there isn't something built for recurring client management. We had looked at task management tools, project management tools, and realized that this is good for a service sprint, so something that's well-defined. You do once, maybe multiple times a year, but it's probably not recurring. It's not client-driven, or if it is, it's not with many clients. Uh, when we looked at CRM tools, which has clients in it, it's really built for salespeople, for sales management, for pipeline management. And when the, the firm owner turned to me and he asked, well, even if I can get set up in one of these other CRM tools or project management tools, can I see something like show me my bookkeeping clients with something due this week that hasn't been started, organized by my team? And I was like, there is no way, because we were trying to hack together all these tools. And I was like, there's no way we're going to get that answer. 
in a, in a quick manner, even if we hack together these tools. And so from that clarification conversation where I essentially try to convince the firm owner that we didn't need to build an application, I walked away seeing the gap in, in the market, and that's when we, we created this founding members program. We got a number of accounting firms um, that, that, has, that had a lifetime guarantee, so they still have it. Uh, essentially, they would prepay for the product, we would begin working on it. If we, we delivered to not meet their expectations now or in the future, they could refund their money. And so from that, we got our, our founding members program. And for us, whether they spent a dollar or more, whatever it was, it's just the, the vote of confidence that this is painful enough to spend money on. And for me, especially in, in the business community, that is the vote of if something's painful or not, is if you're spending money to solve it. So we got those early set of customers. We started building the product. Um, you know, since then we've obviously, you know, uh, grown up a bit to where we serve thousands of firms, 17 plus countries. Um, we've raised a little over $2 million in total. We're headquartered here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, it's grown from there. And now we have a much bigger vision, I think, of what we can do for the accounting, bookkeeping, payroll tax community. I think there's a lot of, of, of bottlenecks with client interactions, with firm metrics, with even time and billing. Um, with finding new clients, I think we're very passionate about where we can go next. But to, obviously, to answer your question, that's where we started. Ah, interesting. I like the phrase "tidal wave." Tidal wave of pain. Uh, yeah. Crack me up a little bit with that. Um, I actually had. Yeah. I, I I can't for the life of me find this picture. And one day, it will come at the random, the most the most random time. I know it will. But I had a picture. I had this, had this whiteboard which was about a three by, by five foot whiteboard where I wrote down 40 different, maybe 50 different pain points. And I just remember looking at this whiteboard being like, oh my gosh, I am, I am overwhelmed with painful problems. <laughs> right? yeah. which, 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 which one should I solve? It was actually this like moment of like somewhere in here feels like there's a painful problem, but now how do I figure out which one to work on? Right. So yeah, there, yeah. There, it really felt like a tidal wave at that time. Well, good for you for doing that sort of research and um, approaching this problem in that way. That's very, uh, you know, in, in I guess entrepreneurial or uh, very creative. I think just the way you approach that is a very interesting story. Um, so why we, workflow? We, have, we, like, we had good mentors. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Like, you know, why was... Um, you know, of the, of the problems that you saw, um, it, this is, so workflow just came up more often than any other types of problems. Is that sort of what you saw as, hey, this is the most painful issue and this is what I want to focus on? Were there any close seconds or like um, any other problems that you really looked at hard but sort of passed on in terms of writing a software solution for it? No, I remember there was um, there was some point of sale issues uh, with, with some of the products out there in the market, but it didn't feel like we could really zero in on a pain point that made sense. I think workflow is very interesting because I mean this is the this is what determines you know we 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 kind of think of workflow in this way is that the firm your workflow determines your product, and as firms grow and, and scale and reach a certain level of, of revenue. I think it's important for them to think about not the service they provide, but the product they deliver 
and the product is a direct consequence of the workflow or process they put in place. So, I mean, it's really the driving factor and I think one of the key variables of having a, you know, highly profitable, very productive, and, and you know, in the case that you want, you know, amazing work-life balance, I think workflow is at the core of all of those things. And so it's, it's you know, it's the factor of delivering the, the results to your clients, of giving kind of fulfillment to your team, of building the business that you want to. I mean, if you, if you have a, we call it the SAT method in terms of workflow. If you standardize your steps to complete something, if you find ways to automate it or delegate it, um, and then if you can set yourself up to track it appropriately, um, you can really set yourself up to build the business that you want to. Now, whether it's the largest firm in the region or in the country or it's the most profitable one or it allows you to take two months off a year, whatever it may be, you know, standardize, automate, track. And, and by going through that and by thinking of workflow as, you know, when we update workflow, we're updating the product we deliver. I mean, it's one of the most, if not the most uh, impactful part of the business um, so for us, it's very, very easy to get passionate about it because, I mean, this is this is just the the heartbeat of of the firm um, for us. And in you know, in the same way, you know, I'm sitting in front of this computer here. Well, the computer is a product. Great. There's a certain workflow and set of steps to get this out the door. To whether you're making a car, a computer, a cup of coffee, um, but uh, in, in the accounting, bookkeeping, payroll, tax vertical, it's it's the same way. But there's a mindset of especially when you start your business where you're the owner, you're taking on everything, and you don't always see yourself as part of the workflow or part of the process. So our, our job in some ways is to work with owners, work with partners, and help them extract some of that information from their brain and put it into an application so that they're no longer the bottleneck for right. the success of their business. So anyways, that's, that's why we ended up going down that path and why we continue to, to dive really deep into it because it's just the heartbeat of everything. Yeah, I can totally see that. And, you know, when you're a small firm owner starting out, it's okay to do everything and not have a systematic, right. you know, systematic approach. But if you're ever going to scale, you, you've got to download that information that's in your head to, uh, into a process where other people can follow it. Right. And we actually, you know, I, I think if you're just starting out, do whatever you need to do to make sure that you have your, your living expenses taken care of, right? And so you might be doing everything at all times of the night for almost any price, you know, whatever it may be. At some point, you're going to want to do something um, bizarre called a vacation. And if you ever want to have one of those, uh, you know, at some point, you have to set up the firm to at least allow you to take a couple of days off. And, you know, part of that to me is, you know, creating a, a standardized set of steps that, you could have a partner, contractor, team member, or at least have a steps to inform the client, look, I'm going to be gone for 72 hours. This is what ha If there's an emergency, do X, Y, and Z. That's a process in and of itself. So whether you, you accelerate that with Jetpack Workflow or your initial you know, thing is, is something in a notebook or on a whiteboard or your calendar, I think it's important whether you want to be a, a firm of one forever or you want to scale it up. Yeah. What do you think are some of the most common mistakes that owners make with regards to workflow? So the, the one I think most people ignore, which is critically important, is what is the client experience of this workflow? How is the client being informed of this process and how it's going on and the ROI uh, and the value that's being delivered from this? 
what's the expectations that are being set from the client end? Um, does it feel kind of uh, jarring for the client? Or does it feel delightful? Does it feel seamless? Um, you know, all of these things are, are critically important for us. That's part of the workflow as well. You know, how you're, you know, let's say you're delivering a report to a client. Is that standardized? Is the email template standardized? Maybe you're having a phone call where you're recapping the, 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 the report you're about to deliver. Well, is there a script? Is there an outline people should follow? Are clients left in the dark in terms of when it should be, when something should be done or delivered, right? Now, we always like to, you know, recommend giving yourself, a, if you have an internal turnaround time of 10 days, maybe you give yourself a buffer of 12 or 14 or 15 days to the client, but is that ever communicated to them? And then once it's delivered, is it just kind of thrown on their lap via email or in person, or is there some kind of recap of what's gone on and what kind of work has gone into this end product? So. I, I think the top one is ignoring the client during this entire process. Um, and, yeah. and you can even, you can add referrals, you know, after you deliver it. I mean, this is, you can standardize asking for referrals or reviews, but to me, that's, that's the number one um, mistake. Um, obviously there's, there, you know, there's a handful of others I can go on this topic for a little bit, but you know, another big workflow mistake is putting uh, a payment as a, a secondary or non-existent, process of your workflow. So we have a tax return workflow or bookkeeping process that we go through and we finish it and then payment happens. And it, hopefully it happens quickly. And if not, we have to chase it down and that's just business, right? I think treating the payment process as something that you kind of just do quote unquote after the sale is detrimental to the, to the, to the health of the business from a cash flow standpoint. And so I like trying to build in Maybe it's a down payment, some sort of commitment before you start the project or having payment information on file ideally and making that part of the process um, as well. So that, that would be another really, really big one. Um, and I'll, I'll give you three. So the third one, <laughs> uh, this is stuff we think about all day, so that's why we end up having more than one. And yeah. the third one is you, you set up a process and you never revisit it. So you said, well, you know, three years ago I started my firm and, you know, we did the initial checklist then. And you since, you know, two X or three extra client base, you've added one or two team members and you never went back to revisit. Does this process, does this checklist still make sense for the business we're running today? Not the one we were running 24 months ago. And so just doing once a year, twice a year or quarterly check-ins on maybe your, your highest revenue uh, 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 service you, you deliver, if it's, if it's, you know, month end close. Are you looking at that every quarter to see what you could be doing to tighten up the process, which will tighten up your margins, or I mean, if free up your margins? Um, so I would say the third one is revisiting your workflow and just checking in and making sure that it's still relevant or seeing if there's any low-hanging fruit that you can update in that process to help people. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and we're very process-oriented around here, and I can uh, relate to that for our team. One thing... Um, we did in our off season is we went back through our process. We got together as a team and identified our pain points, and then we went back and says, "Okay, how can we how can we uh, get in front of those pain points, those client pain points?" And a lot of things that you're talking about, you're you know you're kind of getting in that planning mode by looking at workflow. You're getting in that proactive mode and not just reacting to problems. Yeah. Um, well, actually, reacting to problems, you know, we, we see this a lot where uh, uh, owners, and when, when I say we see this a lot, we, we, we work with thousands of firms, but, 
you know, at the end of the day, we're also a business, so we see it internally as well. Uh, the, there's, there's a problem going on in the business. There's just quote-unquote fire. And what we see as 8 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 times, what feels like a people problem is a process problem. Um, now, of course, there are times where it's a people problem. There's a bad hire, and it's just not a good fit, and you phase them out. But there's a lot of times where you know things are coming up because there's, there's some kind of process issue or some kind of uh, uh, process malfunction that's never been addressed. Um, but I love that point about being proactive. That's absolutely true. Yeah, because um, it's very easy to kind of the, the business as it grows, it can kind of get bigger than you, you know, and, and then you get into that reactive just state, that reactive mode of operation on a regular basis, and um, you, you can't you can't do that for long. Um, so, and it's, which, and it's um, very hard. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, to just go on a small rant, but it, I know it's very hard if you're if you're a firm owner and you want to, you know, it's so rewarding to get work out the door or, you know, meet that deadline. Um, and it, and it's really hard to, you know, slow down in the short term to speed up down the road, but it's so impactful. And we do this all the time at Jetpack as well. We just revamped our product process and it's, you know, the result of this, you know, our, our, our the firms we work with are going to start seeing, I think a, a velocity of updates they've never seen before, but, but part of this process now is we're doing a lot more uh, uh, planning and we're bringing in more, more, more stakeholders up front. And that slows down us, the, the process initially, but then the rest of the process has, has, has an increase in velocity, which delivers a better, better product. Now, it's painful to go a little bit slower before you speed up, but I, I think that's where all of the really long-term gains are for the, for the company. Yeah, I agree. Um, so one thing I wanted to talk to you is about your book, Double Your Accounting Firm. Uh, tell me a little bit about that book and um, uh, how that came about. Yeah, well, it started as a labor of love and then turned into this book. So we have the the Growing Your Firm podcast, um, which we were ta- talking about. You, you've been on the show to talk about all the M&A activity you've seen in the marketplace. And we started the podcast because we just thought there was a potential need in the market for firm owners to learn best practices from other firm owners, thought leaders, authors, consultants in the space. And so, you know, we do these one-hour interviews or 45-minute interviews on the show, and initially it was a test. Is there any human being on the planet that would listen to these interviews? And after, you know, one or two years of doing it, it's scaled up to the point where we had over 200,000 downloads and every time we do one of these episodes, we're writing a 1,200-word summary. So we're creating all this content, and we kept getting questions around, well, the biggest thing we're struggling with is hiring a team. And it's like, well, we have, I don't know, eight interviews, 12 interviews on how other people are, are hiring team members. But it got to the point where I, I think people wanted a little bit more curation around the content. And so what we did is we – took some of the best parts of the podcast and those summaries. We packaged it up into um, digestible chapters that focus on marketing, sales, pricing, workflow, launching new profit centers, uh, the state of technology. And what we did is we introduced the, the core concepts, principles, and frameworks that we heard on the podcast. We wrote down all the action items that were suggested next steps. Uh, we linked to the podcast interviews, but now we have this book version that really takes pre- you know, pretty much all the best 
uh, uh, tactics uh, and, and principles from the podcast, put it in a book. So, um, you know, for us, it just distills down what we've seen after doing 100 plus episodes of this, of working with thousands of firms, what seems to be working in the marketplace. Um, and, and it came about because, you know, we just thought it was it was a great thing to launch and something that people would find value from. It's not this, uh, you know, amazing, um, you know, profit making center inside of the business, but we just thought it's very valuable. It fits with our mission. Um, you know, we have a saying here that we want to turn our customers into the superheroes of the industry. So we just want to keep pouring out resources that can make them more successful. And so I, I, I floated the idea by Joe Cassandra, who is our, who is our main content writer. And he was really excited about it. Um, he actually has an accounting background. Uh, he'd been creating content in the accounting vertical for the past couple of years. And so we ended up writing the book together and we're, we're very, very pleased. It's, it's a bit of a, uh, surreal moment when you when you actually hold it um but uh yeah it, it's been cool and i will say that it, for people listening to this podcast if you want to check out a digital version for free if you go to jetpackworkflow.com slash free book you can get a digital copy and take a look at it and see if it's worth you know investing in the hard copy at a bare minimum i think the digital copy is such a good kind of a, a blueprint for for knowing what to maybe take on next or resources to dig into uh, that it's worthwhile to just grab the digital copy as well. Awesome. Well, um, what trends are, are you seeing in process management just across the industry? Um, you know, you said yeah. you had a lot of updates with your stuff, but like, what what do you see on the horizon? So, I, you know, it's interesting. When we first started in the market, the the concept of whether cloud people should adopt the cloud was still something that came up on sales calls. I, I don't think, you know, in a given week we get any questions at this point. So I think that, that, that trend is almost no longer a trend. It's just an expectation. And I think Intuit and Zero and other, other major players have done their part in making sure I think the industry at large feels comfortable with it. Now I know there's going to be one or nine or 900 listeners that hear me say Intuit and cloud, and they're going to say QuickBooks desktop for life which is fine, <laughs> which is fine. We get that all the time. But I think, you know, cloud is here. We obviously know that's where it's going. Um, I think the, the industry is still, you know, grappling with how we deal with pricing. And as we become uh, more efficient at, you know, completing the service work, how do we move from hourly to fixed or go into value? So I think that's the, you know, the, whole, the whole pricing transition is a topic area that we've done a lot of interviews on. Uh, with, with, with thought leaders and other firms that have done that. So I think that's a big trend in process, which is, you know, now that your billing model has changed, does your pricing model change or does your process uh, checklist change at all? Um, the other thing is the, the consumer effect on the SMB market. And so what I mean by that is I imagine and what we've seen is a number of accounting firm owners, potentially the number of people listening to the to this interview today. And if this is you, leave a comment or let Brandon know. But the the expectations of the client are going up and up and up. And the hardest expectation to meet is the communication one, because mm -hmm. there's there's email, there's phone, there's there's text. Um, there's some people that want to message through Facebook. There's some people that want to adopt a tool like Slack. Um, or, or WeChat or whatever else, or, you know, people have to check at mentions on Twitter. They have to look at so many different places to capture communication that 
I think it's it's a real strain on the accounting firm owner unless they're very diligent early on to set expectations with their client. Look, if you if you need to get a hold of me, uh, if you have a request for service, this is what you do. If there's an emergency, if something's gone sideways, whatever it may be, give me a call. You know, you could say my phone number is your is your bat phone, right? This is for emergencies only. Um, you know, and you, you can run it not through your own cell phone, but you can use a tool like Grasshopper to redirect it so you don't give out your actual number and you can turn it off at a certain time if you want. Um, but then it just means that the client expectation of communication is, is, is ha- you have to be more diligent about ways they can communicate with you. I think it's very hard. It's something that a lot of firm owners don't think about. And the result of that is that they're just on 24-7, you know, uh, texting, phone calls, emails. LinkedIn messages, Facebook messages. It's kind of just this nonstop communication. And I think setting the expectation with your clients, I think about it from the client perspective first, what's the best workflow experience for them? And nine times out of 10, if a client's texting you or if you're just having an overwhelm of message, excuse me, of messages, there's probably a process breakdown where the client wants more clarity or an understanding of what's going on in their firm or when something's gonna be delivered or they have a request that doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, texted to you all the time. You know, an email address is fine. Then you can triage it um, in the morning, whether you answer it there or shoot it into a tool like Jetpack. Um, but yeah, that, that's a big trend. And then I think the third one is, you know, and this is the most buzzwordy one of all, which is, you know, what is machine learning? What is AI going to do to the industry? And I, and I look at machine learning it's obviously something we think about here at, here at Jetpack, which is, you know, how do you put the best practices into an application and then have that application learn what the best practices are? I, I, I'm very optimistic about where machine learning can go and what it could do for the profession. I think it's only going to help the accounting firms um, because at the end of the day, um, I don't think small businesses or businesses at large want to become their own accountant. Um, so the profession's always going to be here, in my opinion. But I think the, you know, advisory work, the forward-facing um, things that accounting firms can do to let them know whether it's benchmarks reports, you know, uh, your burn rate and where your cliff is as a company, uh, profit margins, and, and how that looks in your business. I, I think that this is only going to accelerate that world, or the accountant is more valuable um, rather than less. But uh, that that would be the kind of the final one. But there's there's still so much. I think, you know, some people are talking about AI being infused in their products. You know, so for example, Salesforce has this thing called Einstein, and it's trying to understand, in their case, the attributes of what makes a good deal and what they feel is going to be a, de- a deal that's about to close, and they try to surface that to the top. You know, I don't think we've really seen that come to fruition in many AI cases. I think eventually it will, but I think machine learning is going to dramatically improve technology. If you, if you think of it this way, in 20 years from now, our children are going to look at the software we're using today and they're going to say, they're going to call it dumb software. Like there, there, yeah. our software doesn't actually learn from itself. So, so much of technology today is you put in information and it's a way to store it and then it displays back information that might be easier, faster for you to grasp. But the, yeah. the software itself is not doing any sort of, you know, ongoing analysis in the background. And I think that's, that's, a, that's something that, that in, in 10, 20 years, people are going to look back at the tools we're using today and they're like, how did you even work? You must have spent yeah. so much time digging through things. And so 
Um, I, I think it's just going to be a, a dramatic, uh, a positive effect to the industry. But granted, I'm, I'm obviously re- very, very biased. Well, it's interesting. I think what's happening, uh, so I went to a blockchain uh, event not too long ago, and the speaker was explaining how blockchain is basically um, still in its infancy. And uh, she went on to to explain how the web, the internet, when the internet first was introduced um, in the 90s, how all of these predictions of what what it would be able to do, well, now we're, you know, 20 plus years beyond that. Now all of those original visions have, have, have arrived. They're here now. And mm-hmm. the same, she was kind of making the case that blockchain would be that way, and it's essentially eight, nine years in. And so um, I see AI sort of being a similar um, you know, a similar type of pattern is where, you know, we're kind of at the infancy of it right now. And the things that people are predicting will be, will, will be available in a widespread way, but not for quite a while. That's sort of what I'm kind of thinking. Yeah. I mean, just think of it this way. I mean, there, there's still this problem, you know, that a couple of weeks ago, it was, I don't know, late Saturday afternoon. We had just finished up some work and, you know, I, when you know, I was talking with my wife and I was like, Oh, what do you want to do tonight? She's like, I don't know. And this is, you know, a very common situation where it's like, Oh, we, you know, let's, let's go out tonight. Let's do something or let's do something this weekend. What do you want to do? I don't know. So you go on the search where you look at, you know, best restaurants in Pittsburgh events that are going on in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, maybe we want to go see somebody give a talk speakers in Pittsburgh. We're, we're essentially kind of like trying to figure out movies that are playing you know, a lot of this heavy lifting is us going to 12 different places and, and we essentially probably have the same set of attributes that we apply um, or maybe there's three attributes we apply to maybe going out, right? Maybe we want to be outside. Maybe we want to be indoors. Maybe we want to be intellectually challenged or maybe we want to zone out and watch a superhero movie, it, you know, but, but either way, we have to piece together all this data. Okay, what's the movie theater? Uh, where, where is it near? What's the right time? Do we want to go there? Is there restaurants nearby? There's a lot of information out there that we're still asking the end user to kind of pile together, piece together to make a, a great decision. And I, and I don't think the computer is necessarily going to make the decision most of the time in the near future, but it can at least surface maybe eight of the best options very, very quickly in a prepackaged way. So instead of spending you know, two hours. I mean, the same the same principle applies to, oh, we should take a trip. Where do you want to go? Oh, I don't know, right? And then you kind of like piece together this whole journey of trying to figure out where to travel. So consumers feel this all the time. I think businesses feel it as well, which is, is my business doing well? What, what else should I be doing in my business? And you, you kind of have to pull together all these different resources to figure that out. I think blockchain is, is pretty interesting in that, um, you know, I, I'm pretty new to the to technology platform, so by no means am I an expert on it. But it does feel like the you know the distributed ledger is going to make some sort of impact. Obviously, currency is one that's that's kind of the the the, the trending topic these days. Um, I think the general underlying technology is is pretty, and I don't use this word a lot, but pretty disruptive. Um, I, I don't know what's going to be, you know, become of that, but I think there's some potential fundamental shifts that could happen um, because of that. But uh, 
you know, our, our blockchain strategy at Jetpack Workflow is to sit back, learn, and watch, right? Let's yeah. just see how it evolves. You know, machine learning, we're, we're a little bit more interested in because it, it has direct application to what we feel will help our, our customer base very, very quickly. So, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of, you know, investigating that a little bit more, um, you know. So anyways, yeah, that's I, – I am very optimistic. Oh, another one. Actually, here's one that I think is, is becoming more and more relevant and uh, it's not getting enough attention, which is just voice. You know, what, what does the world look like in a, in a voice-driven environment? What is the voice, quote-unquote, interface? You know, right now we're voice-assisted. Is there a world where it's voice-first? And, and, and as such, then you have a new paradigm of how to create and design products and applications. Uh, so I think that's, that's really interesting. Right now, it's, you know, again, it's a, it's a voice-assisted world. But I, I think, you know, you, you look at, you know, I, not, I know not everybody's a fan of the Apple, but let's just look at the pairing of the smartwatch and the AirPods. You know, this, this, is a, this is a almost screenless environment. You can go about your day and do things and get information and make decisions using technology with either a very, very small screen or without any screen at all. And I, and I think that opens up you know, interesting implications for, for technology companies. But that, that one's feeling like that's probably the, the strongest trend right now. That's the one, you know, I stayed at, um, you know, an Airbnb recently and they had an Alexa in the home. And uh, oddly enough, I haven't interacted with Alexa too, too much. But then after about two hours, I just got used to it. I got used to saying, hey, play this type of music. What's the weather? Um, you know, I don't know, just simple questions. You know, I was amazed at just how comfortable I got you know, asking this, uh, this uh, speaker questions. So I think that's going to be really interesting too. Yeah, we have, an, we have an Alexa, and the main thing I use it for is a kitchen timer. <laughs> you know what's funny? That's what everybody says. That's what everyone says. Um, it's a great it makes timer. sense too, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, the other thing too is that, you know, how does voice tie in with the fulfillment of, you know, obviously Amazon products, right? I think that's pretty interesting I think there's going to be kind of a other, uh, uh, you know, interesting B2B applications in the future. Um, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that evolves. But, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a really interesting technology. So I've got, I've got two questions, and then, then I want to just kind of wrap up. Um, one is, what's your favorite book? Um, doesn't have to be a business book, but um, that you've read or are reading. Oh my gosh, this is so hard. Um, that's a really tough one. You know what book? So I'll give you two. And uh, I, I, I've been on a bit of a biography kick last couple months. So I read the book called The House That Jack Built, which is the creation of Alibaba, which is pretty interesting. Um, it talks about the Chinese market at the turn of the dot-com era, in which most of China didn't even have the internet. And kind of the interesting uh, competitive struggles he had to go through. eBay was making a big, big push into the market, um, and they were the the technology company essentially at the time. Uh, Yahoo obviously tried to make a push into China, and so it was very interesting to see how this um, essentially English school uh, English teacher uh, launched this company. He had he had something like eighteen or twenty co-founders. Um, just a really fascinating story on how that was built. Um, another one that was perhaps one of my my uh, uh, favorite uh, books. Again, these aren't these aren't very 
tactical business execution books, which which I listen to anyways. But um, I read the book called Open by Andre Agassi, and it's and it's a wonderful book. I don't know if anybody follows Penis or not. Um, I did as a child, so Andre Agassi was a is a big deal. And it, you know, he essentially had to navigate his life playing a sport that he pretty much hated, but he felt obligated to play because of, of family pressures. And, you know, it was just, it was unbelievably well-written. Uh, sometimes you read these books um, that are written by successful people and they give you three principles, you know, always keep your head up, you know, stay strong and, and be persistent. And that's how you get through it. And, you know, it's kind of a lot of fluff, but the, but the book opened by Andre Agassi, I thought was uh, very transparent, really well-written. His ghostwriter was outstanding. Um, so those are, those are two books that come to mind. I, I, I you know, maybe a follow-up one that I'm going through now. Um, actually, two books I'm going through now that I think are interesting. There's a book called Principles by Ray Dalio. So he runs uh, Bridgewater uh, uh, Investments, which is a, I don't know, $50 billion a year business. Um, very, very successful. He himself is maybe the, in the top five wealthiest people in the world. Anyways, over the last 40 years of running this investment firm, He's tried to distill all of his experiences into principles that can help him make better decisions. And so the book is a, is a dive into all of his principles. And then the other one I'm going through right now, which is a lot of fun, is a book called The Definitive Drucker. Uh, so Peter Drucker, he, he literally invented the, the term knowledge worker. Uh, he was born in the 1910s, uh, moved here from Austria, and was really fundamental in creating the kind of modern system of management and you know, he, he grew up in a world in which the industrialized society was taking over kind of the agriculture-based society, and there was this new thing called a knowledge worker. And so how do you organize and manage the knowledge economy? And it's, it's a really fun book. Um, so anyways, those are, those, are, those are the top four, I guess. Yeah, so <laughs> I guess those, all sound, those all sound very interesting. I've read some of Peter Drucker's work, and he is just such a solid thinker. Like he's just got a great way of approaching problems. He's fun to read. Um, all right, my last question is um, what's the most unique practice you've ever uh, been exposed to, uh, accounting practice? Oh, my goodness. I will – you know what? I got it. I got it right here. Um, it was somebody that did accounting work for um, – the the term I'm gonna butcher the actual occupational term, but it was essentially uh, we'll call it they were an accountant for adult dancers, and <laughs> and we had never we never seen that we had never seen that niche we had never thought about that niche, and you know uh, one of our product specialists was talking with them and, and she's you know she told us yeah you know the 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 people that are adult dancers, you know, kind of essentially run their own business as freelancers. So they have all this cash, they have all these expenses and, and deductions or like whatever. And so anyways, they needed somebody to like manage tax returns and just budget and do things like that. So this individual focused on adult dancers, which was wild. I didn't even know um, that really existed. So that would be the, the, the wildest one we've seen. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the, that's definitely the top one. <laughs> well, David, it has been a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and sharing all this great information with our audience. And um, 
uh, we'll put the, you know we'll put a close out with the uh, link to the free book and um, thanks again yeah absolutely and if people want to you know ask me any questions my email is david at jetpackworkflow.com uh, obviously the website's jetpackworkflow.com the podcast can be found on our blog which is jetpackworkflow.com slash blog you can pull up Brandon's interview which is great and uh, yeah thank you so much for having me on the show thanks Dave thank you for listening to learn more about Jetpack Workflow, please visit jetpackworkflow.com. That's J E T P A C K W O R K F L O W. And for a free download of Double Your Accounting Firm, please go to jetpackworkflow.com forward slash free book. To learn more about Poe Group Advisors, please visit www.pogroupadvisors.com. That's P O E G R O U P. A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S. You can reach Brannon at BPO at pogroupadvisors.com, B-P-O-E. Follow him on Twitter at Poe Group Advisor and LinkedIn at Brannon Poe.